0: I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell. And you are listening to Pop It.
1: This is the podcast for popping questions. Popping bottles. And pop culture. This week on Pop It, we sat down with Linda Cavioli, Executive Director of YWCA Central Massachusetts. YWCA is the oldest and largest multicultural women's organization in the world. YWCA provides a safe place for women and girls, builds strong female leaders, and advocates for gender equality and civil rights. Women go to the YWCA in times of crisis as survivors of domestic violence. They go for career counseling. They go for childcare, They go for health and wellness. And Linda makes sure that they leave with a renewed spirit, new skills, and stronger lives. Yay! I know. It was really that a was pleasure great. to talk to her. Yeah,
0: she's so cool.
1: <laughs> the one thing that I will say is just that she spoke with so much Uh, Enthusiasm. Yeah. And she used her hands a lot. And so she kept hitting the table like this. (laughs) And you could hear it on the recording a little bit. (laughs) But I hope that everyone appreciates her ability to speak with her whole body.
0: Yes. She said everything with meaning and with intention. Great expression. Yes. Well, last week we touched a little bit on the bachelor and Kaylin's situation as she had been sexually assaulted in college. And so in the past week, we've had some updates locally on that, right? Well, yeah, we had been following the story. I guess I had written six pieces over
1: the last three months about sexual assault on the Holy Cross campus in particular. And the students this past week showed great advocacy and organized so meaningfully. They all got together together. And they had a sit-in on Monday. It was estimated that throughout the day they had as many as 400 students who cycled through. And they had some pretty clear demands for the administration, the first of which was that the college would just acknowledge that for 20 months while the Title IX investigation for Professor Christopher Dustin was underway, the college had failed to alert the student body, the staff, the board of trustees. And that was something that really kind of stuck in their craw. Um, They had some other demands as well. And the college was really responsive when we think about a Jesuit education. And I went to Fordham University for undergrad. I went to BC for graduate school. I'm no stranger to the Jesuit system. But they're always saying, you know, we're seeking to build a community marked by freedom, mutual respect, and civility. And the students have really demonstrated that. And I think that that's something that Holy Cross should be really proud of.
0: And I think it's hard for, I think especially like women that age, to – speak out or, you know, I guess like to come to leadership and to come to the guys in charge and make those kinds of demands um, and have their voices heard. So I think it's really impressive what they've done.
1: Yeah, I went Monday and I sat with some of the organizers who are not to be confused with the moderators of Sexual Assault on the Hill. It's two substantially separate groups. And they met with me and the Oregon scholars to just talk about their organizing and, um, one thing that they said was that they didn't have an attorney who was helping them to design the demands, and I was shocked because just the legalese of what they had written in this document that was circulating it was so professional i'm just yeah. I'm very impressed by their sense of professionalism absolutely, and they're not the only ones advocating for themselves. Some other community near and dear to our heart, the city of Worcester, has yes. been advocating. Molly, do you want to just give a recap like, of what happened?
0: <laughs> I mean basically. Conan went on um, Colbert. Um, I was gonna say the Colbert Report, and then I was like, that show doesn't exist anymore. Um, And some, and he he was talking about his upbringing and how his family was here for a brief period of time, and you know, basically, he mentioned Worcester. Someone from the crowd went woo, (laughs) and he (laughs) he he halted and was like, Worcester is unwooable. Don't woo Worcester. And so we really took that to heart here. I think our buddy Sean Connolly has he stepped up he stepped up for and what yeah he's led the charge yes and then
1: the city itself picked it up amy peterson made an amazing video and it was this um, montage of all different pop culture figures saying woo and then also they had a spokesperson shay anderson he invited conan to come to worcester and they said that they would buy him a ticket (laughs) He could come anytime. I hope Um, he takes us up on it. He was also invited to be
0: WPI's commencement speaker.
1: (laughs) I wanted to ask you, I saw... Okay, well... All of my pop culture knowledge, Molly, actually comes from this thing that I started yes. getting emailed to me a few weeks ago called the Trashter List. And I know I went to you and I said, Molly, I'm on this great yes. newsletter. It's so funny every week. It's got just really strong voice and it cracks me up and it's it, it uses word economy and gives you all the top pop culture news for the week. And she said, oh, you mean our friend Zoe's colleague? Yeah. Do you want to explain how Trashter List came to be? Um, basically
0: Zoe is a, uh, she lives under a little bit of a rock pop culture wise. I don't think she would be offended by me saying that. I think she would admit it. Um, she likes, you know, fun gossipy stuff. She just is like, you know, she's, it's not necessarily in her purview all the time. And so her, one of, one of her colleagues basically latched onto that and was like, I'm going to start up a newsletter, essentially, called List, um, which is a joke on this old uh, newsletter that used to go out called Masterlist, M-A-S-S, Massachusetts, that was um, a similar, like, rundown of recent political happenings, essentially, and so she started writing up, a, like, a regular go- pop culture gossip version, um, and sent it to Zoe, yeah, and then and Sarah, the- yeah.
1: I ended up on this yeah. list. I guess more and more people are invested in the idea of getting these little snapshots. Yep. And so it's growing and it's growing. Very smart. So, Allie, we praise you. Yes. You're really keeping me in the loop you here. Rock, Allie. Yeah. And that's how I learned that Jennifer Lawrence got engaged. <laughs> to, someone named Cook Maroney. Yes. I have no idea who he is. It sounds like a character from 30 Rock. I took the liberty of Googling him, <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's an art gallery director. Of
0: course, he is. Mm-hmm. Jenna Maroney's brother, Cook yes. Maroney.
1: <laughs> and she had also mentioned in the Trashter List this mm-hmm. week that Andy Cohen is a dad. Yeah. And the funniest detail she included <laughs> was about his baby shower. I guess he had invited every real housewife and his best friend, John Mayer, to the baby yeah. shower.
0: He and John Mayer are very good friends. Um, John Mayer had been doing, actually, I think he's still doing his Sunday night TV show, Current Mood. And on the first episode, which is really kind of like a hodgepodge of just like him on instagram live it's an instagram live tv show um it was like him in a like little background he was like uh you know just chatting to his instagram live followers and andy cohen like waved hi in the little comments and then john was like andy do you want to come on and so like he was the first guest through the like the double screen on instagram live so they are buddies i believe it it's very funny the last
1: item that I was intrigued by on this week's Trasher list had to do with Ariana Grande and the Grammys are tonight as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. And it had to do with her disagreeing initially to perform, but then it turned out that that wasn't the case at all. It was the Grammys producer, Ken Earl, Earl Rick. <laughs> Is that right? Is it Earl? Earl, Earl Ehrlich? Sorry, I, I don't know. I I'm, not,
0: I'm not looking at.
1: It. Well, good I old just, Ken. Yeah, Ken. Uh, yeah, he was like, "Oh, it was
0: too late for Ariana to pull anything together," and she lashed out on Twitter. Yeah. So, right, it came out that it was like, you know, creative differences is always the phrase that they use, right? And so then she said, um, "My favorite part is I can pull together a performance overnight, and you know that, Ken. <laughs> like addressing him specifically in this tweet, I love it." It was when my creativity and self-expression was stifled by you that I decided not to attend. I hope the show is exactly what you want it to be and more. And then to put a black heart at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. So she did basically a couple of tweets refuting that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Tree-feuding. That's a new thing. When you you refute something with a tweet, that is tree-feuding. She just basically said, "I, I wanted to collaborate. I didn't feel supported. And backed out. So I guess it was really an integrity thing for her. Good for her. Yeah. I think that the day this episode
1: comes out will effectively be Valentine's Day.
0: Happy Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. gals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, February
1: 13th, right? Yeah. Yes. And it was so the Valentine's Day episode of Parks and Rec, and you can give the rundown on what that <laughs> means, but it was one of the episodes that first got the most traction and people started to say, Leslie has all these eccentricities, but this makes her so palatable and it showcases what's so great about her character.
0: Yeah. And I also think it was um all those, you know, when sitcoms are big like that, they always have, there's always like touch points, right? Yes. Like the so, dinner party for The Office. Yes. And um, right. And like yada, yada, yada on Seinfeld. Like there, there's those like kind of hallmark moments. And I think that that came in as Really one of the first ones that people latched onto, like you said. Um, yeah, Valentine's Day is February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day. And it is when you treat all your gals to nice things, essentially. You guys, you go out to eat together. It's about celebrating your women friends um, and your women friendships. And we love that here. I think we've talked about Anne and Leslie before. Yeah, so they all get together and eat waffles at, course, JJ's, at JJ's, right? Yeah. Yep. She had her mom come in one of the first episodes yes. and tell
1: the story of meeting her dad.
0: I forgot about that. And the, and I always forget, too. Leslie's mom, I just love this, like, tidbit, is played by the lead actress from Kindergarten Cop. Ooh. And I always like every time I'm like, there she is. Yeah. And I think that's I don't know why I think that's so funny. Um, but yeah, I like, oh, I love that movie. So <laughs> do something nice for your gal today. Yes.
1: Eat some waffles. Yes. Or uh, if you go to Cross Bake Shop, they've got some hilarious yes.
0: valentines. One of them says, you smell like my dad. That have you seen any of the other weird. funny ones? Um, <sighs> I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but I have enjoyed them and people and they're taking suggestions, too. They've asked. So if you go to the crust Bake Shop instagram you can suggest some some cookie ideas for like rotten valentines <laughs> one of them just says freak <laughs> one says can't stop
1: loving you but loving you's crossed out and they wrote in eating <laughs> it says can't stop eating
0: Valentine's day is about celebrating your your women friends and your women friendship and it's the best so
1: we hope you'll do something nice for a gal in your life today yeah.
0: Find your Anne or your Leslie, depending on which you are, I guess, right?
1: Which one am I? I don't know. Am I so tone deaf that I don't even know? I'm a
0: Leslie. You're like – you're a little bit of a Leslie, but you're also like um, very pragmatic, which is an Anne thing, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like – like hmm, I, I don't know either. I'm not like a type A, so that's like not – I'm not Leslie. But maybe I'm in April. <laughs> everyone wants to be April. Maybe I'm a Donna. Yes, I choose Donna.
1: (laughs) Well, enjoy our conversation with Linda Cavioli, the executive director of YWCA Central Massachusetts. She can be your gal.
0: Bringing it full circle on celebrating women.
1: Absolutely. Have a great week. MassFoodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food-centric person. When asking yourself where to eat tonight, turn to MassFoodies.com to see what's happening in the Massachusetts food scene. That's MassFoodies.com. I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Conno. And you are listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Today on Poppet, we're on-site at YWCA with Executive Director Linda Cavioli. Linda proudly oversees the daily operations of this $6 million nonprofit organization dedicated to elimination of racism and empowerment of women. Welcome, Linda.
2: Welcome to the YWCA. Thank you for coming. Yes, I, I was will stay there. with first names. That way I get it. Right? <laughs> that's, yes, that's wallet. perfect. That's right.
1: <laughs> I was here just a couple of weeks ago when you opened up the facility for the community to try and I had a lovely swim in your pool.
2: And so now you're going to join, right?
1: I think I might <laughs> have to. So tell me, what's in it for me? Why should I be a member of the Y as opposed to all the other health facilities in the city?
2: Well, first of all, it's the YW, right, not to yes. be confused with the other Y, which we partner with, but we have different missions. <laughs> so what's in it for you different? Well, the, we call it wellness and health equity. So it's not just a fitness center. We do have a pool. We do have strength and cardio, but our lens is to ensure that we provide access to all people who should have a right to quality health and wellness. And so we try to figure out the barriers to that happening for some people and create a bridge so that not just the downtown working professional or teachers um, who might have a regular pay, but for groups of people who may frequent a health center or youth groups who don't have natural access. So what the benefit is is you will be working out with a diverse population of people from youth through elders Mm -hmm. at the YWCA, quality, safe, but also diverse and um, with a lens towards race and gender equity.
1: Well, when I was doing my research on you, I read about your passion for social justice and our boss who serves on your board had mentioned that as well. Equal access, equal pay, equal opportunities, equal power for all. And I was reading a Harvard Business Journal article that came out last week. or was from the Harvard Business Review and they were talking about disparities in gender pay and how the more transparent you are about the, the gap between men and women in your agency or organization or company, the less likely it is that that gap will exist. But in terms of the city of Worcester, how do you think we're doing with equality of pay and equal access for women to leadership positions? Abysmal. Yeah?
2: Well, um, Worcester Business Journal did a boardroom gap series last year, and I read all four editions with great interest. So, the gender gap is what everybody talks about. And what I would say is, if I can't talk about gender without looking at race. Mm-hmm. So, if you look at the fact that they say women make 78 to 80 percent of what men do, that's all women. White and Asian yeah. women rise that number. But if you look at the disparity between women of color, and men. So, um, Latina women make the lowest rate in the fifties and black women and African American women make in the sixties. So the reason it's 80 is because white and Asian women bring up that amount. So even, with an 80% disparity, that doesn't take care of all women. So when the Worcester Business Journal um, series came out, I called Brad Kane and Mm -hmm. said, what about race? And he said, Linda, I knew you would call. Mm -hmm. And I did. But it's unless it's a nonprofit or a publicly held company, the data is not available. And they didn't want to do anecdotal. So they tried to present what legitimate, factual data that they have. And they know that race is an issue. So I asked them if one of their series, and they did, they actually talked about diversity, not just of gender. So I think when we look at equal pay or access, we can't just generalize by gender. That allows the opportunity for us to add the further disparities of race.
0: Right, the intersections.
2: Of race race, race, and gender and violence and...
0: Um, You mentioned that when you called, he said, I knew you were going to call, Linda. And I think I love the connotation of that. For me, I think that's like such a positive thing. Like, I knew that you were going to be the one who called us to say, wait a minute, what about this, this, and this? that's the action of like having the backs of the people that you really are working for, right? Right. Um, And so obviously, you got to that point where he said that because you've been so outspoken, and you've made those calls before. So like, how did you get there?
2: Well, I have the pleasure and um, opportunity of representing an organization whose mission is race and gender equity. And if we didn't, if I wasn't the one to call, we shouldn't i shouldn 't be in my position, and we shouldn 't be the agency that we are, so it gives us license and actually the expectation that we 'll be honorary and strident and mm-hmm. loud and and if we don 't do it, who will right. so but it's not it didn 't happen overnight. I think that the YWCA was known for a very long time as really powerful on women 's economic empowerment and gender issues but not always so good on race, not bad, but just not as visible. But when I came, I felt that there were a couple of things that needed to be um, put forward. And one was racial and social justice and our international um, presence. Because one of the reasons why we're, we're able to have such Gender and racial equity is because we have, we're part of a world organization. And so, um, right now, for example, our residents, our transitional housing program, one of the largest populations of women, 18 years of age and older, that live with us are immigrant women because they come from a country where the YWCA was, you know, a beacon for women's economic empowerment. So I think that, um, it was our job um, to be out in front. And then the YWCA USA kind of flipped the mission so that it wasn't economic and race racial justice. It flipped to um, eliminating racism and empowering women, because that had to be first, because we needed to really right. change our role and position on that. And so um, it became a challenge at first, well, are you really doing that? No, we need to do more. So it challenged us and it gave us um, the opportunity to create the place. But if we didn't seize the opportunity, we wouldn't be seen of as a thought leader or people wouldn't come to us and be first on that. So it took a long time with staff and leadership and board to be strident and um, kind of out there on those issues so that Brad would say, I knew you were going to say something. And it's not just me. It's really everything in the people we represent.
1: In another Worcester Business Journal article that had profiled you, I read that you ask beautiful, probing questions. So it's funny (laughs) now that you say this, that you've got a real knack for that. But how do you approach difficult situations and difficult conversations in the workplace and on these various boards that you serve on?
2: Well, um, I think... It's expected of me, so if I didn't do it, um, I would be remiss in my role.
1: Let's say but you're it didn't walking in overnight. Though. What if you're like walking into a room that was going to be a contentious situation, and you knew you were going to be the only woman in the room?
2: Um, well, first of all, I try to be respectful, um, to be you know like just honorary or um, cantankerous or you know always in opposition. So you can do some—I learned from some really cool women who used to say things like, um, I'm not sure I really understand, or I may not—so to pose it as a question, um, for one thing. Another, to say that I have a concern. I mean— If I'm going to be labeled as the one that's going to raise the issue, I better raise the issue. And you can do that. And the other issue for me is I don't believe that if it's a race question or discussion that the woman of color should be the one to raise it. I believe as a white ally, um, I should be the one. The woman or the person of color shouldn't have to educate everybody about why they should care about this. But the us white allies should be the ones to be bring the issue forward and be the the voice and be the ones to hold ourselves and others accountable so it again it didn't happen overnight and I had the luxury of having an organization that would allow me to be responsible to bring up those issues but it takes it I mean you have to kind of um I mean, I'm old. I've been around for a long time. But you have been here since 92, right? Yes. Yes. So you kind of have to pay your dues a little bit, and you have to do your homework, and you have to make sure that what you're saying you can stand behind in terms of action. So those would be the things I would say that it's expected of me now. It wasn't always, you know, I'm short and I you know, I used to always be the little girl, but I tried to overcome that by doing my homework, making sure I knew what I was saying, that I was prepared and that I was also, I had the backing of my organization and others that believed what I did.
0: I think that's something that a lot of professional women face, um, especially in workplaces or in situations that are dominated by men, is that you have to be like doubly prepared so that you are taken at face value seriously in the first place. And then to go beyond that, make Absolutely. sure you do your homework, whereas other people might show up and... You know They've been doing their job, and the guys next door might be like, yeah, this guy's right, like Steve's right, or
2: whatever. Or you're yeah. not acknowledged, but someone else, particularly a man, will say something, and it gets... Right, right. So so you just have to keep at it. You just have to keep showing up. You have to keep using your voice and um, be able to back up what you say with action. I think that um, and it, it has to be over time. It just can't be a shot in the dark. You really have to build that role and responsibility and respect um, in order that the expectation is that you'll say it and you might get listened to or that you bring someone along with you and um, either share their power and voice and not just... And then mentors. I mean, I've had lots of people who've blazed the way for me and um, that's what I think women have to learn. We need to be able to mentor one another And then bring along, whether it be a young woman or a person of color, and make way for them, and then know when to be side by side and step back to kind of push that next person forward.
1: Well, that brings to mind for me your beautiful mural, The Maiden, the Mother, and the Crone. We had the blessing of working with Alice Mizrahi, Molly and I did, last spring with a group of kids, and she just like invoked the spirit of Mother Nature. It was incredible. And she did a wall here, but I only found out about her because I came to your, it wasn't a ribbon cutting, but more of an unveiling here, maybe two or three years ago. And she was working with a group of girls, girls, mentoring them. And she had such a a positive impression. What encouraged you to bring public art to the
2: YWC? Oh, and now we have so many walls covered. Well, we were approached by Erin Williams of the city's um, arts and culture um, department. And she was very smart to bring us someone like Alice and say she wants to do it with your girls and have it be a learning opportunity. So we have a girls' choice program, which is middle and high school girls. And the CHOICE stands for Choosing Hope and Opportunity Through um, Independence, Careers, and Education.
1: That was pretty
0: good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it's really a whole mentoring system. So we try to get adult women. We try to get college women. And in essence, the senior, the high schoolers and the middle schoolers. So the girls come in and and have all kinds of workshops and um, education programs on self-esteem and you know media literacy and racial justice and body image and pregnancy prevention and violence, all of that. And throughout that, we're working with them and their studies to make sure they understand the connection between education and income and independence. So we work with them through all of middle and high school. And um, they're, they're bright, they're incredible. And we also know that art, music, and art uh, helps really expression. So when we saw the opportunity, Alice, and Alice wanted to work. In a project with young young people, especially when she said we could do girls, it was great. So she came and did a workshop with them about what it, were their thoughts, and so it kind of turned into a life cycle. Um, and the, voila, the you know the maiden, the mother, and the crone. I say I'm the crone, and I say the girls with it. So so it it was literally, and then there was a local artist. Sharina, Sharina, who um, on the day-to-day basis was helping doing the sketching and the girls would go out there. And so over the course of, I think it was just a week, um, Alice and Sharina and the girls like just did this and they couldn't believe what they could do. And the message is timeless for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, because we start with infants and all the way up through elders, but The feeling of it being the women through their stages and bringing each other along. Intergenerational. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that, and it's been around for four or five years. And so when the powwow came, we were the first ones (laughs) to jump on board. (laughs) Um, And we had the um, New Zealand artist who did the little girl. That actually was one of our daycare participants and a teacher. Um, And then somehow the birds got on there, and (laughs) we never could quite explain the birds. birds. And so Che. Oh, gosh. So then Che came and says, I owe you. I says, yeah, you do. We had those birds up for three years. And he found Sidney James, who just came and did that beautiful work of art on Mm -hmm. our building. And Mm -hmm. we're doing a renovation, and we're getting historic money, but we can keep the art, the public art.
1: Well, we'll definitely post pictures to our Instagram, (laughs) at Pop at Worcester, if you'd like to see photos.
0: You talked about how you start with, you know from infancy and I was just reading about your initiatives to kind of broaden the the education the education opportunities you offer here as far as like pre-K so how are you planning to move forward with that what's the so, what's the what's the deal So
2: first of all to us it's not just child care right. or early education and care it's kind of a means to economic empowerment for women and families. So we have three workforces. We have the children who are the future workforce, the teachers who are our current workforce, and we support the workforce of parents and guardians and caretakers. So um, we have 137 slots downstairs. It's our ground floor. And Nine out of the 12 classrooms have natural light. And for highest quality, you need natural light in every classroom. So with the opportunity of our renovation, we're going to move all preschoolers forward to have the natural light on the ground floor and bump up infant and toddlers off of our lobby where the administrative area is now. So we're going to stack our childcare, And with the opportunity to have natural light in every room and also another quality um, criteria is bathrooms access to bathrooms, well, when I first came, it was at the end of the halls. Now it's within the room. So the reconfiguration is going to allow us to have shared bathrooms between each to- two toddler rooms and two each two preschool rooms. And where by the reconfiguration, we can add a classroom of pre-K, which is, um, you know, it's children's readiness for school, but it's really an opportunity for um, you know, readiness for kindergarten and infusing STEM. And um, so most of our three pre-K classrooms are one teacher and an aide per 10 children. Our preschool classrooms are two teachers and an aide for 20 children. So we're really trying to um, work on the education divide, but we bring STEM into toddlers. It's now part of toddler, and I mean, if they could figure out the infants, I'm sure they will. But we're national, we were the first nationally accredited center in Central Mass, and um, we're validated level three out of level four for the state system. The highest is four. And with this renovation of the natural light, and the bathrooms, and some other configuration with our playground, we will be eligible for level four. So for us, it's creating um, the right space for all children, because of probably 75 to 80% of our kids are either vouchers, income eligible, United Way. We only have about 20 to 25% fully private pay. So we mix all nationalities and races and income levels. And that's also part of our philosophy is um, empowerment happens through caregivers seeing each other every morning and every afternoon. So we don't have transportation because we're at the hub. So we don't have transportation to and from. We see every caregiver every morning and every afternoon which we want to. Because we want to model parent engagement now for a lifetime of education. And because the transportation shouldn't be a barrier because of our location where we have the luxury of being able to do that so for us it's all modeling and um so teen parents are in the same classroom space as physicians and nurses so that we can really have parents model and when we have a a family involvement activity we have a hundred parents here um and and we do make and take so when a parent leaves and we have information because what we know is parent engagement is critical to education as you would know Mm -hmm. but somehow once kids get in school or maybe middle and high school it falls off well parent engagement we try to facilitate girls choice parents have to sign off on the programming and so um, youth Connect, where we work with all the youth development agencies, we have parent registration and try to engage parents to the extent that we can. So expansion allows for the booming downtown for more you know, people to be able to access us.
0: It also offers parents, like you mentioned, teen parents or young parents, single mothers, the opportunity to bring their child somewhere that they know they're safe and then go to work or find work, too, Yes. So it opens those doors as well Absolutely, in a wider, kind of wider lens. Yeah.
1: And when I think about everything that you do, you've got to be a legal expert. You've got to be an expert <laughs> in education. You have to be an expert in finance. Yeah. And it reminded me, there was a New York Times article that circulated this past weekend. It was called, Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work? Yeah. By Aaron Griffith. And just this idea that our jobs have become all-encompassing, we have to pretend like we can't wait to go out and hustle. And people started posting on social media, TGIM, like, thank God it's Monday. And the article said that this is just such a stretch of the truth. Not everybody can love work all the time, and we've got to take care of ourselves. How are you taking care of yourself and worrying about self-care? And you're in a, a place geared towards self-care, you right. know? As I say, I what just want to What are you doing my... for yourself?
2: Well, not enough. <laughs> None
1: of us uh,
2: are I doing I went out to lunch with a friend today, and she said... How because I have a disabled husband and I'm a grandparent who was raising grandchildren and I have this awesome job. Well, you can't TGIM if you don't love your job. I mean, you have to be able to you know love your work and um or and so
0: be able to like key into it right, at some point right i mean right? Yeah. yeah
2: i mean sometimes you have to work to live mm-hmm. but sometimes you have to live to work because it's mm-hmm. part of what stimulates you so um, for me um, work is is kind of an escape from this life that i juggle so many different things and i have a chance to be kind of like a valued in a different way than a home or caregiver kind of thing. Um, I could self-care because every staff person has access to the health and fitness. Um, but I, my self-care is um, time with friends and colleagues where I can kind of renew and refresh. Um, I, you know, I wish I could say I had all these other hobbies, but I literally... Have to go home and take care of my husband, and you know I help with my grandchildren, and so you find you have to find a way. Um, Lunch with
1: friends, I think, is a good my, start. Yeah. That's my yeah. that's
2: refresh and renew.
1: I'm glad you mentioned your husband, too, because in that Worcester Business Journal profile, you said that, you know, you're a champion of women, obviously, but you lean on your partner. And for me, I am engaged to the most wonderful man. And he, whenever I doubt myself or say, oh, I can't write that news story. Oh, I can't. He goes, of course you can. You know, and he pushes me to do new things all the time. How has your relationship fueled your professional career?
2: Well, when we first got together, um, he... We made a ready made family. So he had two kids and we adopted three more. So we made this combination of people to call family stepchildren, adopted children. Um, He talked to me, he was finishing up his master's and he said to me, How come you haven't gotten your master's yet? Well, I didn't think I could get my master's. I didn't think. So he did what he needed to do to support my going back and getting my master's. So that, to him, Um, education was important and he was able to pursue his so he wanted to make sure I could pursue mine and so I definitely couldn't marry someone who wasn't a feminist so he is very much in lockstep thinking so we shared it wasn't like he babysat and I did the caregiving we literally shared we would plan a schedule who had night meetings who had early morning meetings and we raised our family Mm -hmm and we would definitely co-parents partners in it all and so as his health he has parkinson's and alzheimer's so as his health has declined it's my responsibility to make sure that he has what he needs um to have the best end of life through the next period of time um and that that includes me but it also includes caregivers and family and friends for him so you, you just kind of figure it out, and um, you, just like you are approaching a work thing, you approach it with what you have to do, and then I, I put in 27 years, so if I've said to my staff, families first, they would expect that I would put family first. So you need to be able to put your priorities in order and still meet the requirements. So you have to work at home, you have to change your schedule. We have to be able to do that as a workplace and as a, actually, it should be done as a country.
0: Society,
1: yeah. Well, on this podcast, we always talk about women's professional culture. We've certainly covered that. Local culture, which I think the YWCA is a great microcosm of our local culture. And I know you mentioned what a diverse population you have here. I read that 21% of Worcester's population is foreign born and i
2: think that that, oh god
1: yeah so this is a gorgeous tapestry of an organization and then we also talk about pop culture and i was wondering if you have a favorite piece of pop culture that you like to consume music film tv Uh,
0: theater theater
2: (laughs) i do a little bit of it all i I watch tv because that's what john can do um I you know read. I listen to all different kinds of music. Obviously, if I'm have, have grandchildren in their teens, and I'm from the '60s, yeah. you know, there's a kind of so yeah. I I enjoy public art. I think the powwow coming to Worcester Che Anderson has brought a gem to our city
1: and an entire committee of very hardworking yes.
2: people. And <laughs> right, um, Che and the whole powwow, team. but he's I'm on the committee yeah, right. but he, you know, he he kind of had I'm to fine. sell it a little. Bit bit too. I know. Then he once he the sold it, everybody, I think that that's awesome. So um, although I'm not um, the most avid, I appreciate that being a part of our community. You know, y- y- um, I don't like all the young music. Of course, my parents <laughs> didn't like my music, but I think yeah. that You know, like it's when my grandson tells me I want to be a rapper, I'm saying, How can this blonde haired, blue eyed white boy be a rapper? And he can. He says, I can. Mm -hmm. So I just think that from the work we've done, when we infuse art and music into our programming, especially for youth and victims and survivors of domestic violence, it's obviously um, uh, not just an extra, it's an important, meaningful, integral part of what we have to do.
0: And it's a way that people connect. Um, You mentioned, like, your grandchildren. Like, when I was a kid, you know, my grandparents grew up in the really more, like, the 50s, 50s and 60s, but one of the ways that we connected was they would play Simon and Garfunkel, and I really, really loved it, and that was, like, sort of a bridge for us where... Like, I was able to find that with them. Have you yeah. found anything, like, with your grandchildren yes, that you...
2: The st- Beatles. Every <laughs> single grandchild that spent the night at my house, Perfect. the CD was the Beatles. So they all grew up loving the Beatles. And now, what the youngest, well, the youngest who listened to it was, he's now 13, but they know the Beatles. And you
0: find that, like, that connection. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I remember sitting in the car with my grandparents, like those are some of my best memories. And like I always wanted to hear Cecilia because I was a yeah, kid yeah. and that's like the most fun. And I'd be like, I want to hear that one. Oh, yeah. But you can, you can make those connections through music and, and film and that kind of thing.
1: My only other question is, do you know about Rosie O'Donnell's connection <laughs> to Worcester? No. So she just got engaged to a Worcester police officer um, who is the only female on the mounted unit. And And we
0: want her to come on our show. Yeah.
1: Do you have uh, any sort of rosy pop culture that you
0: enjoy? Like, I love A League of Their Own. Oh, wow. Oh, and Now and Then. Now and Then is great. I used to watch her show a lot.
2: Yeah, her show, not necessarily Mm -hmm. any of the movies she was in.
0: But she was (laughs) always, like, such a, she's so, um, like, brassy and outspoken, and I always thought that was so cool as a kid. Mm
2: -hmm. So are you going to go to the Worcester police and ask them (laughs) to invite her?
0: We're trying. To figure
2: out a way in. Well, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, but Susan Lopez <laughs> is married to Miguel Lopez. I know. Should have a little bit of a connection there. That's
1: right. Susan, we're, we're going to be on your case about Rosie. Rosie, you know? come up, Poppet. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This
2: was thank fun. You. Yes,
0: thank
1: I, this was fun. This was mm-hmm. a great conversation. I have been Sarah. I've been Molly. And this is Poppet. <laughs> MassFoodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food-centric person. When asking yourself where to eat tonight, turn to MassFoodies.com to see what's happening in the
0: Massachusetts food scene. That's MassFoodies.com.